Today is a day in the holiday season, and we've got an interview with Michael K. We're excited for you guys to hear it, so let's do it. Let's talk Yanks. Talking Yanks with old drum boy, drum boy Jake. Recaps galore and weekly awards. Stat lines, steaming hot takes. Your Yankees news with these two fine dudes. It's time for Talking Yanks. Talking Yanks with old John Boy, John Boy and Jake. Talking Yanks with old John Boy, John Boy and Jake. Hello, what's going on? Welcome to Talking Yanks. We hope that you are having a fantastic holiday week, enjoying the family and the weather and whatever you're doing, the cookies. Enjoy the cookies. Mm. Jake, favorite type of cookie? It's the holiday season. And we're eating the cookies. And Michael K's got something to say. The New York Yankees are going to play. At some point in 2021. What was the question? Favorite cookie? Yeah, Christmas cookie. Do you like those sugar cookies with like the hard, the thicker sprinkles on top of them? You know what I'm talking about? I think I know what you're talking about. I like those. Like the ones with like the kind of intense frosting and. Uh, I think he's going no frosting straight. Like they can be Christmas colors. Oh, the normal. Like they're either like sugar. red or green, kind of. Yes, I have a picture of them up here. Let's see. I mean, I'll eat a ton of those. Yes. If you get a good batch of those, you're in trouble. Yes. If you get a bad we batch, like the bottoms are pretty burnt, you're like, eh. Yeah. I can play Both through that. Burned ones are what you want. Really? Okay. At least um, at my house. Some satanic Do stuff. Do any from Christmas BBD. stuff sink into your guys's? Is both mom and dad. Um, my mom Monica. converted before marrying my dad. Okay. Uh, so we just kind of didn't do Christmas stuff. But my mom didn't want me to be the Jewish kid that would go around spoiling it. So they made me believe in Santa. Mm. And if Hanukkah and Christmas didn't overlap, they'd give me something on Christmas. Did they make you believe in Santa, but Santa didn't get you presents? Uh, if they, if Hanukkah <laughs> That's wasn't. Hilarious. If Hanukkah, no, he exists, young man. Yeah. If Hanukkah and Christmas <laughs> weren't overlapping, they'd save like one of the Hanukkah presents for okay. the day. All right. Like, he got you one. All right. I like that. It'd be really funny if they were like, no, he exists. He just doesn't get you shit, man. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> here's Michael Kay. Kay's been a great friend to us uh, and supportive from the jump. So we we're absolutely uh, happy to have him on and to talk uh, some baseball. And Trevor was with us, which is mm. a different dynamic. Uh, so we got to talk about him calling Trevor's games, some baseball stuff, and a lot. So here is Michael Kay. All right, here we go. Yeah, whoa. We got Michael K, the voice of the New York Yankees, host of the Michael K Show. Our dear friend. Our dear friend, a big John Boy Media supporter. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. I keep thinking about a couple of winter meetings ago when I sat at that little table with you guys before you were nothing, before Trevor Plouffe was part of your whole deal. That was, uh, I, I still think there's a, uh, a story from that winter meetings that I don't know if, the, if we can tell Not yet no, we can't on tell air. But, it wow. t- but uh, we did end up at a table right next to you somehow. And we, we were so deflated. Not deflated. Deflated's not the right word. So we got you. We're interviewing. We're having a blast. And we got a laugh out of you. And you were professional. And you moved your laugh away from the mic. And we were like, God damn it. 
He's good. <laughs> we wanted that laugh. <laughs> I'll give you a laugh now. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. How you doing, Kester? What's up, man? Everything's good, guys. Everything's good. Just trying to get through. Just trying to make it through. Outrun a virus. Amen. I had a quick question for you, Michael. If they came to you and said, hey, the future of, of broadcasting is that the away announcers will always be working remote, would you retire on the spot? No. Okay. Because <laughs> it seems like a uh, not fun task to do that. Well, you, you know what's funny is that, you know, when – I, I feel sorry for the people that are just getting into the business where, you know, going to these new cities is like a big deal and going to these new restaurants and stuff like that and seeing these ballparks. You know, I've got a six and an eight year old, so being home more wouldn't be the worst thing. Doing games for the monitor, absolutely brutal, absolutely brutal. But if that's the new way of the world, and I, I, what scares me is the fact that some bean counter somewhere figured out, wow, the game's they got on the air and we didn't have to travel these people and we didn't have to spend all this money. And I think that might be the way of the world for a lot of companies. I don't know if that's going to be the way of the world with yes, but I think sooner or later, I think ESPN's doing a lot of games remotely. And I just think that that's going to happen because if you can save money, they're going to save money. At the very beginning of the season, you know, you could hear that you were a little timid to declare a home run or fair or foul down the line. Cause you don't have all the shots. I do think you got into a groove towards the end there at any point. Did you think about John Sterling and be like, oh, my God, how is he calling home runs? <laughs> uh, it, it's difficult. It, it, it really is. And I think our best uh, advocate for maybe not having this be the thing to do all the time is Joe Buck. If you remember the, the play in the World Series um, when Rosarena stumbled and, and scored, uh, he said in an interview, he said, there's no way that I could make that call off of a monitor because the camera oh. can only follow one thing. I wouldn't see what happened with the center fielder. I wouldn't see why a Rosarena stumbled. I wouldn't see that there wasn't a guy backing up the catcher. Those are the calls. I think in big games, you'll still see people travel. But, um, you know, if you can save money, if you're the Mets and, you know, there's a game against the Padres that's going to start at 1030 on, uh, on SNY, you might think, why do I have to send Gary, Keith, and, and Ron out there and spend all that money, especially the audience is always small for a West Coast game. I think they will pick and choose. Again, that's just me thinking out loud. Nobody's told me that, but I think it's uh, it's a good way to bet. Mm, it's interesting. I, I think you have – you guys need to be there to see it because when I'm watching games on TV, which I do way more frequently now than ever, we rely on you guys to tell us if it's fair or foul, if it's a homer or if it's off the end of the bat. You know, it's impossible. If you guys are looking at a monitor and, like you're saying – you can't hear the crack of the bat necessarily. You can't see the trajectory of the ball, how the outfielders are breaking, all that stuff. It's going to bring the, you know, the quality of the of the viewing down so much that they have to have you guys travel, man. Well, here's the worst to. part, Trevor. But by not traveling, right now this year, you just accepted that it it was what it was. We're we're not going to be allowed in the in the clubhouse on the field. I get that. That was a safety issue. But moving forward, if you're not traveling, you're not talking to players around the batting cage. You're not getting the stories that obviously people want to hear. You're just doing the game. And uh, yeah. you know, the game is the important thing. But in order to see, you know, a, a guy went out here yesterday and he got a lucky uh, rabbit's foot. And that's why he got a, 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 you know, a three-run double. Those are the things that you're not going to hear anymore because you have to have access to the players. And I think there's going to be a separation so much between the players and the media and you know, you can speak to this better than I can, Trevor. I'm sure 
that the players kind of dug it. I mean, they don't like the media hanging around the clubhouse. And all of a sudden, the clubhouse was theirs. And when they met the media, it was on a Zoom call. And that's the way it worked out. So I hope it's not the way of the world, but it could be. Yeah, I think most guys I talked to absolutely hated this year. Obviously, I mean, I think there are a few guys that, you know, maybe dislike the media depending on how they're playing. I think that goes very far in how you feel about the media. If you're playing well, you're like, hey, guys, what's up? Who wants to talk to me? Tell everyone you for know. me, please. Yeah, so I, I every single person I talked to is like, this sucked this year. Let's like vaccine, please, Lord, get us back to like our normal life. I thought that I thought that Aaron Boone said it best. Uh, there was just a heaviness about the whole season. There was no fun. I mean, obviously for the players in the middle of a game that separates them, but it just seemed. I don't want to sound so dramatic, but you know, when I'm sitting at Yankee Stadium and the Yankees are playing the Blue Jays in Buffalo. And it's a night game, and there's no lights on, and all I see is David Cohn in the next booth, and Susan Waldman in the next booth, and John in the next booth. It had really a dystopian feel to it. And the yeah. thing that surprised me is that a lot of people that listen that aren't in the business, like I get texts from my buddies, and they go, "I thought you weren't traveling." I said, "I'm not." They said, "But you're in Buffalo right now." So it sounded like we were there. Yeah. The technology is caught up. The most difficult thing, and I think you guys have heard me tell the story, was the Paul O'Neill factor. You know, because David's right next to me. He's just a glass away. So I could see, I could see if David leaves, leans forward if he wants to say something or he could give me a hand signal. But when Paul was in that basement in, in, in Cincinnati, we had no idea when he wanted to talk. He kept stepping on us. And after like one game, we figured out, let's put a camera in Paul's basement and look at Paul, just a, a, a Paul cam. And it wouldn't go on the air. It would just be me and David watching that that feed. And when, when Paul wanted to talk, he put his hand up or something like that, and that solved it. And after a while, it just became the new normal. And techn technologically, it worked out. But I agree with Trevor. It just had a different feel to it. And I just don't know if that's the way baseball is meant to be broadcast. So I was so impressed and interested in how the Paul O'Neill setup worked. And for anyone that's watching us on a Yankee fan, it became a big running joke. You know, Paul from his basement, they made it like the Johnny Carson set. It was really fun. But I would tell Jake, because I'm just so interested in behind the scenes, especially with broadcasting. Eventually, I texted, I DM Medvin. And I was like, how the hell are you guys doing this? And he's a producer that helps in the truck for Yes Network. Because I was like, there's no way Paul can have K in his ears and the producer in his ears to let him know, like, talk here, talk here. I was like, is he just on an island? <laughs> just like, and then he, Medvin, let me know about the hand raising system. But I was so confused because you guys got it to a flawlessness. And I was like, how is he communicating with anyone else? Uh, I'll tell you what, Jim. I, like that first game, I was driving home and I, I felt like, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like a wimp. I felt like I was going to cry. I said, this is <laughs> done. I mean, because Paul kept, if, if you listen to a tape of that first game, He's stepping on David. He's stepping on me, and he's not doing it on purpose. You know, we usually have a rhythm. We know each other so well. We've worked together all these years. But all of a sudden, you're separated by, I don't know how far Cincinnati is from New York. And and then it, it just, it, it was a definitely a, a brave new world. But, you know, as much as, you know, people look at Paul as like, our here is um, Phil Rizzuto and that he's goofy. He's a pro, man. He doesn't, he doesn't want to, like, not do something well. And he knew that first one wasn't great and i just started thinking on that ride home we gotta have a camera in there and that solved everything it really did what's uh you you leave some easter eggs during the, the broadcast you talk about and 
Paul O'Neill, some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth, I mean, is so beautiful baseball-wise and so funny, and it's all, it's almost unreal that it's coming from Paul O'Neill, the warrior, the right fielder that we, we grew up with pretty much. Uh, what's something that maybe you hinted towards some of his meals? What was something that the, the Paul O'Neill cam caught that maybe wasn't shared with the audience that you can relay to us now? Don't tell me he had, like, a well, cat in his lap the whole time. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. I mean, his wife, Neville, I mean, Paul is a, a technological uh, child. I mean, he had, <laughs> he would have no idea how to do what we're doing right now. He had no idea how to set that stuff up. But Neville is his savior in everything. And she was actually, like, off to the side when things would go wrong. And um, he had no idea what a reboot was because sometimes it was, like, a, a four-second delay, which would have been unworkable. And... I, I tried to tell him, Paul, a reboot is just unplug it and plug it in again. That's <laughs> an apple. And uh, that, that was kind of the stuff. And I, I think you guys all know, after that first uh, two games, um, the first game, he's sitting in his basement. And in his basement, he's got like a background, a wall that was kind of cloth. It was like kind of plaid and like an old <laughs> Irish pub. And boy, he got made fun of on Twitter. <laughs> and that they, they got made fun of, and they they asked, "Yes, could you send us like a, a Yankee blue curtain?" And that's why they had the Yankee blue curtain there because uh, Neville didn't want to be insulted by the background in her basement. It was but, a very yeah. Midwest basement look. Yeah, and everything was like so organic because you know after a while it became like what, what autographs he had, you know, the signed bats that he had. And he just, you know, Paul just goes off. You know, it's just like he would be sitting with you watching a game, and he goes. I got a bat here you guys would like to see. And then then he just like went to the other side of the room where all his memorabilia was and he brought it on the air. And then we started to make it a thing. It's, you know, after a while people think, oh, they're planning this stuff. You know, they have these meetings. No, there's no meetings. It's whatever shoots out of Paul's mouth. And then it becomes a thing. Yeah. I mean, some of the signed stuff he had was awesome as well. Uh, All right. Bringing it to this winter meetings. Uh, Two years ago, we, we were with you at winter meetings. Nothing happened. It was a big waste of time. So last year, you didn't even go to winter meetings. Um, but then the cold news happened there, so we were excited. Yeah. This year, um, are you tuned in? To, is is the journalist writer, Michael Kay, are you still, like, searching for scoops? Or are you, are you kind of like us where, you know, you're more radio broadcaster now? Let, let me hear the rumors and what's happening, and I'll react to it. Which, which, which way I, do you lean? phone calls because, you know, we still have the, the hot stove show, which we'll have tonight on Yes um, at 7 o'clock. So – you certainly want to be prepared and don't want to take anything by surprise. But it's funny. We had Jeff Passan, who I know you're going to have on later. We had him on the other day. He goes, these aren't winter meetings. He goes, you know, everybody's calling the virtual winter meetings. He said, the only thing is there's going to be Zoom calls with managers. So I think that this is stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And, I mean, when I was a writer, guys, which was like 30-some-odd years ago, there was really stuff going on at the winter meetings. You'd pull a manager over to the side at the bar and he'd tell you stuff or GMs, but you guys were there the last couple of years. Nobody's anywhere. I mean, Pat, the, the biggest thing is when, you know, Scott Boris stands by the Christmas tree and, and talks to 300 media members, but the GMs stay in their rooms. The managers pretty much have those conferences. That's about it. But I don't think there's any wheeling and dealing going on in the lobby like there was 30 years ago. So I think the whole thing has changed. And I, I think just like, a guy like Brian Cashman sits in his room and waits for agents to come or calls up the GMs that he wants to talk about. So nothing nothing is hidden in plain sight. 
It's much different. It's really just a... Uh, We're not going to tell you last year was kind of cool. We're not going to tell you that. Well, I mean, for don't, us... Don't, our, Jay. Don't do it. It was our first year. You had Boone in one corner with all the, the analytics department for the Yankees and Cora in another corner with all the analytics department. It was it was kind of a cool Al scene Lider for us. Al Leiter exploring the space in the middle. It was For us, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Al Leiter, John Boy! John Boy! <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Tell him what you do. Tell, yeah, he was, tell him he was with uh, Bam Bam Ulins and he was like, you know this guy? And then Bam was like, no. And he was like, he does. And Leiter was trying to explain whatever I do, and, and he couldn't. Which I don't blame him for, and he was like, "Tell he does, tell him what you do, John Boy." Like, <laughs> Wait, it sounds like Al was a couple of drinks in. Was this he? was maybe oh, around no. midnight. It was maybe midnight. That's my Al. Al. Yeah, That's my Al. yeah. Rumors. Do you? Are you? When are, Al when Al drinks a little bit, you'll notice it's like it's in direct proportion. The more he drinks, the closer talker he gets. So, oh no, uh, close five talk. Five or six years in, he's about this close to your nose. I go, Al, you're in my space, man. <laughs> <laughs> Me and uh, Al, I don't know if me and Al could drink together. I'm not a big close talker guy. I got. Oh my god, Trevor! When, when I did the games with Al, like you know, you're sitting close together anyway before COVID, and then he like leans in and he hits you when he wants to talk, and <laughs> even when he's not drinking, he's a real close talker. He's in your in your space, so I don't know if you you'd like dealing with him, Trevor. I love his segments on MLB Network. Like when Al's into something, he did oh, one on man. Dustin May's cutter versus his fastball. And I mean, he's storming around, but it was it was passionate. So it's like this is awesome. I like this. I mean, it's real too. It's he's not making up the passion. He loves baseball, and I mean, he's one of my closest friends in the game. But uh, yeah, I just don't like him invading my space. That has to stop. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a Roosevelt's, and your friends with Roosevelt's are sponsoring us today. Very, very close. Roosevelt's question of the day that we're asking everyone: We need your Trevor Bauer prediction. Uh, if you would like ours first, Jake said Mets, Trevor said Padres, I said Angels, and the great Marley Rivera also said Mets, right? Yes. Marley also yep. went Mets. You know, um, I thought about this a lot, and the fact that the Mets are going after McCann rather than Real Muto tells me that they're not just going to make it rain, and Trevor Bauer okay. is going to cost a lot of money, as he should. He just came off an unbelievable year. Um, I think that the Angels are desperate to do some stuff, and they have Pujols' contract coming off at the end of next year, at the end of this year. So um, I probably say West Coast, and I'll say Angels. All right, wow. there we go. Now you don't think I, that maybe they're going for McCann instead of Real Muto to save money for Bauer? I think they're going for McCann to save some money for Springer. Oh, okay. okay, all right. Because I, I think the things they need the most in order. They, they have to have a catcher because if you don't have a catcher, there's a lot of pass balls. And then they need a center fielder. Uh, and, I, I mean, Bauer would be great to team up with DeGrom, but you're going to have to pay Bauer as a number one starter, and you're already paying a number one starter. So I'm not saying it couldn't yeah. happen, but, you know, I think that Steve Cohen was telling the truth when he said, I'm not going to spend like a drunken sailor. Um, I, I thought the fear was there, and I think a lot of major league owners might have felt this as well. You approve this guy. He's going to have a $400 million payroll because what does it mean to him? I mean, he's got $200 million in the ashtray in his car, So, but he's a smart businessman. He's not just going to give away his money and lose money uh, with the Mets. I think he wants to win, and they'll do it smart, but Sandy Alderson will, will serve as a guardrail for him as well. Yeah, I could be wrong. Maybe they get everybody, but uh, I think the catcher's first and then Springer is second. 
Are you excited for New York Sports Radio to have a, a new owner in the mix here, and and the Mets are just like a, kind of like a much more fun conversation, at least right now. It's a now. different feeling. A different feeling. I'm sure you have Mets callers calling in now that sound like Yankees fans of the '90s <laughs> a little bit, thinking they have the next Steinbrenner. Is it? Has it been fun? Having it has been fun to get them on the air. I think that would be a blast. We haven't been able to do that, but um, you know, just if the Mets are good, I think that helps. You know, because in sports talk radio, if you, you either want them to be great or you want them to be absolutely a dumpster fire, <laughs> the Mets haven't been a dumpster fire. They always like yeah. hover around like seventy-eight to eighty-four that's wins. Debatable. Yeah, that's not that's not fun to talk about. I think this guy has a passion about the team, which is important as well. I'm just curious, and I know this is going to happen. All the Met fans over these last 20 years that I've done this radio show who are constantly saying, well, oh, the Yankees win championships, but they buy them. Now I think they, they kind of understand how needed it is to have an owner that can actually afford what you need. So I think I think the tune will change just a little bit, and that'll be fun. The Red Sox had to accept that as well when they started winning and then they started having the highest payroll as well. And it's like, hey, you know, there's a reason people spend money on the best out there because they're the best. But Absolutely. Are we uh, – do, do we have – Michael, this is our friend Trevor, by the way, Trevor Michael. Um, do we – It's a little late, you know? Well, I'm, <laughs> Mike, I, to, I told you. I mean, I know I know who Mike is. I don't know if Mike knows who oh, I am. Oh, I know who you are too. Any man. any memories jump off the off the top of your head, Michael, from, from Trevor Plouffe Day and those wretched Twins teams? No, there weren't. I, he was a guy that you, you did not want him coming up. You know, he always put together a really good at bat, and he was a good defender. That That's what I remember. I don't have any specific thing. Where he had a, you know, a five-run home run, but I, I, he was a player that when he came up, I always respected him because he seemed like he played the game the right way. Do we have a, a drop? Because I believe you have it. Where I believe we'll uh, Kyle either slacked or emailed it to you. All right, because because Trevor went second deck left field at Yankee mm. Stadium. Now that's 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 rarefied real estate. Yeah, Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It is. Thank you, Mike. It is pretty impressive. I think we have the call here. Let's see. They even had him working. With Torrey Hunter, one of the best outfielders ever. Deep to left field. There it goes. See ya. Pinch in home run for Proof. And it's 9-5 Rays. Wow, you can hear the excitement in my push for the opposing home run. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I've already told this story. I'll tell you, Mike. Right before that homer, I was up getting uh, a Cuban sandwich. I like calling him Mike, but Michael, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't mean to be disrespectful. Michael, I was up eating a Cuban sandwich from that beautiful chef in the visiting clubhouse when I got the call that I was pinch hitting. So that one's a little extra special for me because I just went up there and just whacked it. So it was a good good time for me. I love to ask, when you hit something like that, what's the feeling in your hands? I mean, it... Does it not have any feeling at all? That one didn't. You know, if you really barrel a ball up like that, you just absolutely know it's gone. It's a, it's a great feeling. So it was against Chase and Shreve, so not, I don't get a lot of credit for that. People will always mention that to me, but um, that one felt good. Hey, hey, Shreve's a big league pitcher. You yeah. know, I couldn't up Chase and Shreve. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying, people always mention <laughs> I, that to I me. I personally believe, I mean, you probably played other sports as a kid. There's nothing harder in all the world than to hit a baseball. Nothing, nothing. No other sport comes close. That's the one thing. I, I, I still marvel that the, the synapses fire that quickly that you could do that. It's amazing. Didn't never I couldn't do us. it. Yeah. So I can't now I'm happy. Look, at me. Look how much that. I'm smiling, guys. Thank yeah. you. Why not? Why not? We, uh, 
as we met, you're following Marley Rivera, which I'll be honest to you, tough act to follow. Mar- Marley great. is incredible. Um, and so we did talk a little bit Yankee stuff, but we got to talk a little mo- more Yankee stuff, okay? So what a, I'll, I'll tell you, the one thing that's conflicting in my head right now is, you know, getting under the tax again potentially or how they're going to do that, but the DJ LeMahieu rumors are still so tight that, like, it, is it DJ or bust? Or I, I think we're both starting to waver on DJ and they might just bargain bin this whole thing because if you can get a guy like Kyle Schwarber for one year and kind of cheap, like that might be a play. Where where are you at with this Yankees offseason? Well, I think the money situation is real. You know, Hal said on, on the radio show that they lost more money than any team. And, you know, you could say, well, what's money to the Yankees? It's money, you know. Yeah. Even, you know, when Steve, when, when um, what's his face? The guy who owns Amazon. When Jeff Bezos loses mm-hmm. money, he loses money, even though he has billions and billions. It's just, that's what businessmen do. So I think that the payroll is not going to be as high. I think that their first priority is to sign DJ LeMayu. They really want to sign him. I think that Hal really wants to sign him. But I think there's a line in the sand. Now, it's different than with Cano. Cano, they offered seven years, and if he left, they were fine with it. Uh, then when the Mariners offered 10, Yankee said, see ya. But uh, I think they really do want DJ, but there is going to be a point where they will walk away. Uh, I also feel that if they get DJ to sign, Let's say they get him to sign a four-year, $22 million a year deal. I don't think Tanaka is coming back. I don't think they would have the money to bring him back. I think they'd have to do real small deals after that. If they don't get LeMayu, then it gets really interesting. Then do you pull the trigger and, and make a deal for Lindor and put Lindor at short and then move Labor Torres over to second? We had passing on the other day. He, he has a feeling that they'll trade Torres. I don't have that feeling, but that's what Jeff said. He feels that they could still trade Torres. Uh, where he's at the, the height of his value. Uh, the Schwarber thing I checked out with people in the know, let's leave it at that. And although the Yankee front office has loved Schwarber for a long time and his swing fits perfect for Yankee Stadium, their question is where do they play him? Yeah, He's not a great defender. If you put him in left at Yankee Stadium, Yankee Stadium's left field exposes you because mm-hmm. of the size and left center. Um, so I, I'm not quite sure how he would fit. Uh the, the thing that's a fly in the ointment for everything is that Stanton, who had an unbelievable postseason, he's a DH. They don't want to risk, you know, exposing his legs anymore to have him standing in the outfield for nine innings. So I, I think it all comes down to LeMayu. If the LeMayu part falls apart, then I think they have to get more creative. If the LeMayu part happens where they do sign him, then I think they have very little wiggle room when it comes to money. They're going to have to get really funky to bring people in. I, I I agree. My, a lot of my thought process has gone the same, and I think that DJ and his camp are playing this really well because there was there was a quote from Cashman a uh, year ago, nineteen or eighteen, where they were talking about trading Glaber, and Cashman said, "What are you crazy? I got to walk around in this town. I can't trade Glaber." Well, that's kind of where he's at with DJ Lemayu. Like you got to bring this guy back. You got to walk around in this town. Same sentiment. And DJ has said repeatedly, I want to be a Yankee. I'll take less to be the Yankees. And his camp is saying the same thing. And the public, you know, if Cashman truly does care about the public perception of the Yankees and, you know, serving the fan base, they're playing him pretty well because if if they get outbid and, and the fan base doesn't think it's that big of a difference, it's going to look really tough. I don't think you can let fans run your team, though, Jim. And that, that, yeah. that's going to be a problem. Uh in all the times I've been around the Yankees and I'm going into my 30th year broadcasting this, this coming season, I don't think there's ever been a player where 
we're going to have him no matter what the price. And the only guys I could think of were, were, were CC. They were getting CC no matter what. And they were getting Garrett Cole no matter what. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think that LeMay is, is in that um, equation. I think they love him. I think they desperately want him back. But let's say if the Mets go like six years, even five, I mean, they wouldn't want to lose him to the Mets. It would be a tough decision for them. But the bottom line is if somebody's going to blow them out of the water, they will walk away from the deal and they'll they'll, they'll deal with the, the fans' outrage. And, you know, they dealt with – it was a long time ago, but fans were unhappy when they let Cano go. No. You know, they get over it. People do get over things. And, uh, and every move in baseball is interconnected. So let's say you go to five years for LeMayu, which I think it might be to get it done. Then you're taking him to the age of 37 because he's 32. Then when you have to make a decision on Aaron Judge and you say, well, we don't want to give you a seven-year deal because we don't want to take you until 37 or 38, he could say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You deal with DJ LeMayu. So you've got to think down the line how it's going to impact every single decision you could make. So, again, I think that on a scale of 1 to 100, 100 being the most, like what they were with Garrett Cole, I think they're at 90 with LeMayu, how much they want him. But that other 10% will allow them to walk away if it gets silly money and they don't want to go there. I agree with you that if they do lose DJ, they're going to pivot to – I think I think if DJ does not return, Glaber's going back to the second base and they will go look at this free, this shortstop market. And next year, a year from now, the market for shortstops is crazy. Now, if you can right. swing a, a trade with for Lindor, knowing you can sign him, that's obviously the number one move. We were looking at a guy like um, – Anderton Simmons, who Epler in uh, L.A. loved him, and Epler comes from Cashman's school of thinking. You know, maybe you plug him in for one year and then go after there's like five shortstops next year to do that. But I, I do think that if DJ isn't back, Glaber's going to move to second base, and they say stay there for a while and you're home and, like, don't worry about moving around anymore. Do you get that sense at all? I get the sense that they lose DJ. Uh, there's a lot of moves, and I think that the, the, the automatic move, because there's more shortstops available than there are second basemen, they go with him at second. You know, maybe you could even convince Didi to come back for one year because the Yankees are too right-handed, and that would be a left-handed bat. Even if they sign LeMayu, if they want to get funky and they and they want to trade for pitching, you know, I wouldn't want to trade Luke Voigt, but you could trade Voigt and then put LeMayu at first base. Um, so there's a lot of ways you could do that as well. Yeah, the shortstop market is going to be incredible next year. But remember, I don't think the Dodgers are going to let Seager walk, so that's gone. And I don't think um, I don't think the Astros could let Correa go. Maybe they will, but I don't think he'll be available. Uh, it's interesting. You could look at a shortstop market that's going to develop. They might not be out there. I, I think that any team that trades for Lindor is not going to let him become a free agent, so he's not going to be available either. So the the market might be a little bit you know, less than what we think. So, I mean, you've got to make the decision for now. I agree, but you also have to think forward as well. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's almost like 3d chess what the Yankees are playing right now. And the money aspect makes it all the more um, difficult to, to put the pieces together. And we haven't talked about the rotation, which is non-existent. Well, the, the, the rotation is interesting, and I, I think that, you know, we've always heard the Yankees are going to do this, the Yankees are going to do that, and go with the young players. I think that they can actually go with young pitchers this year. And the thing that's going to be interesting about this season, 
You know, David Cohn has always said you need seven starters. You don't need five because people get hurt. This season, I think you need nine starters that are viable because you have guys that haven't pitched and no good major league analytical organization wants a pitcher to go more than 40 innings than they had pitched the previous year. I mean, that's even going to apply to Garrett Cole. You don't want to blow a guy's arm out. These guys only played 60 games, so you're going to have to – I mean, they get a little bit of a break because Severino will join them probably in July. That'll be one guy that they could push in. But they're going to have to be really careful with these young girls. Like, Davey Garcia, I believe he's going to be in the rotation. You think Davey Garcia is going to give you 200 innings? If Davey Garcia gives you 120, you're going to be thrilled. Well, there's a lot of yeah. innings to fill up after that. So this is a really complicated way to put together a team. And, you know, I said this on my radio show, and, and, it, and it's something that bothers me so much. I can't believe that Major League Baseball uses the rules of the game as bargaining tools against the players. And I can't believe the other way around that the players do the same thing. How is a GM in the National League supposed to put together a team when they don't know if there's going to be a DH? How is a GM supposed to put together a team if they don't know if the roster is 25, 26, 27, or 28? How are they supposed to do that? How are they supposed to do it when they don't know how many uh, playoff teams are going to be? It's amazing. But remember, this is a sport that last year after the season started, two days after it started, they said, oh, by the way, there's more playoff teams than we, we thought there were going to be. So uh, these are weird times. So I, I guess it allows everybody to get funky. But to use the DH as, well, if we give you the DH, you have to give us the extra playoff teams. Don't bargain with the sports integrity. Bargain with other stuff. Don't bargain with that. There should be a DH in the National League. And the other rules, make those rules right now. Don't bargain them so they could get things from the players. And the players shouldn't use it either because the owners could tell um, Tony Clark, you know what we're giving you if we give you 15 DHs? 15 high-paying jobs. That's what we're doing. It opens up another market for Ozuna, opens up another market um, for Nelson Cruz. Otherwise, those guys are limited to half a league. So I just don't know what baseball is doing when they do stuff like this. It makes them look bad. It's an awful optic. All over it. Yeah. That story about the DH uh, coming out, I think that's a play by the owner side saying, like, look, we want it. Uh, and they're just letting people know the Players Association is sort of holding it for ransom. And then you have the other side, like you're saying, like the players want to hold all the bargaining chips they can come this next uh, offseason when we have the CBA coming up. So it's it, it's a weird dance that we're in. And we started to see it, you know, this year when we're talking about how we we're going to get through a COVID season, how many games we're going to play. There is, there is some bad blood between the two sides, and there needs to be some miracle to, to, to lube it up. And so we can have some, you know, some good actual negotiations in the offseason because how they handled it this year at the beginning of the year, saying something in the media, saying something in the, in the media and actually not meeting, that's not going to work for a whole CBA. You can't do that. You have to sit down and talk about things. And so I'm hoping that that comes to fruition because if it doesn't, we're in for a long, long winter where a lot of people are going to be saying, God, I hate baseball and I hate the owners and the players and everyone's greedy. And you do not want your fans to be saying that. And think about it, Trevor. So 2020 is going to be, you know, an asterisk year. This year, I don't think it's going to be 162 games. Next year, mm -hmm. they're talking about there could be a lockout or a strike. That's not good for the long term no. health of the game. So. Uh, I mean, if, if we're going to be frank here, they could have played more than 60 games last year easily. Yeah, yes. They could have played 100 games, no problem whatsoever. 
Uh, but you know, it was the back and forth and the, you know, the money issue. I understand it's a business. I never forget that. And I'm a capitalist. I get it. But you know, this year too, I don't think the owners want to play a lot of games when there aren't fans in the stands because it's a big, big money hit. And at the beginning of last year, when they were going back and forth, I thought that the players should take less money prorated than a hundred percent, but I changed my mind totally after seeing what those guys went through to play they deserve to be paid 100% prorated. And I think the owners realize that as well. And the bottom line is that this year, they're going to get 100% prorated. They're not going to take 70 cents on a dollar because the owners are going to lose money because there they aren't fans in the stands. So I think the owners are going to push it off and push it off until the vaccine becomes so prevalent that they could get people into ballparks. And then all of a sudden, the losses will, will go down a bit. Yeah. I think it's sad that the the like you said, like Michael, like you know, we had the shortened season. We're going to get another shortened season, then a potentially a lockout, and how damaging that can be for this sport. And I think both sides see that as leverage and not damage, and that's kind of what scares me. Like I think both sides see like, oh, we're in such a bad spot, we can take advantage of this, and it's like, oh, just just yeah. come to an agreement somewhere. Well, but last year you could because the world was really weird, and yeah. you know. It didn't. It wasn't a good look. Mil, millionaires arguing with billionaires over money when people were dying. But I think as we move further away from COVID, then it just becomes a straight-out business proposition, and that's not going to be pretty. Well, Michael, I I need a little advice from you uh, okay. to change wow. change the topic a little bit. So my girlfriend, no, uh, <laughs> we. A, I'm here for you. I, I, I can tell you anything. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> well, First of all, I think we do owe you a thank you because someone we're talking to for the first time later today uh, is Bob Costas. Yeah. Um, who he said he heard about us when he actually hopped in the yes booth and he, he worked with you guys. So No, no, Michael was out. He was recovering. Oh, Bob, that was. Can you imagine, like, let, let's say that you, you missed some games and. Instead of like the next guy up, they brought in Brooks Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> they bring in Bob Costas. That was really comforting. So <laughs> that's that's funny, man. Bob Costas. Bob, huh? okay. So I I was gonna. Uh, well, a a little thank you because the Yes Network and everyone has been so friendly to us. But uh, what uh, do you have any Costas stuff for us, or do, do we go professional? Like what what should our angle be? What help me? He's fun. You know, he could play, so he'll, okay. he'll know exactly what you're trying. To, you don't have to be like Mike Wallace or. Um, well, you guys are young, so you don't have to be Brian Williams. Um, you don't have to I be don't know that He'll have fun. He'll have fun. He loves the game. And, you know, just throw anything at him. He, he is, uh, you know, when he was on center stage, told the story that his father was a big gambler. That's how he really got into sports. Because the father would be so locked into games that he had bet a lot of money on that Bob would sit there and listen to it on the radio. And then... He became uh, obviously a big, big fan. But uh, I'm gonna we have we have Bob on our radio show today too. Wow! I'm just gonna Twitter thing because that guy, the guy who started the yeah. Bob Twitter, yeah. I he fooled me. I, I I said welcome Bob because I think Bob would be great on Twitter because he's really smart. Uh, he, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. But uh, I, I'll give you a good Bob Costa story. This is how this is a Bob Costa story that tells you what he's all about. So this was like I had just gotten the job at the Post to cover the Yankees. So I must have been about 25 years old, 26 years old. And I'm, I'm dating a girl, and we're walking in Manhattan, and we, we're crossing 7th Avenue, I think 7th Avenue and, like, the big street, maybe 17th. And uh, crossing the other way is Bob Costas. Now, I know who Bob Costas is. 
I don't think there's any way he knows who I am. And he stops in the middle of the crosswalk and says, hey, Michael, how you doing? Bob Costas. Just blown away. And uh, and I said, Bob, this is my girlfriend, Donna. He goes, oh, hello, Donna. Nice to meet you. That was the extent of the interaction. We walked across the street. He walked the other way. Well, Donna, who I'm still friends with but not married to, um, like 15 years later, she's one of the top executives in the NBA. And he's doing the games for NBC. And she's walking across the court to talk to somebody else. He walks up to her and goes, Donna, how you doing? Last time I saw you was crossing the street with Michael Kay. Wow. Jeez. Is that unbelievable? One of those guys. He's like one of those. He's got this memory. See, I'm terrible. Like, I could meet somebody, and four and a half minutes later, I have no idea what the person's name is. <laughs> Not because I'm a jerk. I just have no memory. I can't, like, click it in. He clicks it in for 15 years after, like, a 20-second encounter. So he's never going to forget you guys' names ever after this, ever. Like I love that. He'll see you 30 years from now. Oh, Jake, I remember when I was on. That's how he is. Man, that's crazy. They now, say... I have a question to ask you, Jake. Oh, oh God. Yes. yes. So we start this interview, right? Yes. The first thing out of Jimbo's mouth. The right. first thing. Right. Well, if, if they do remote, are you going to retire? So does he wow. want me to retire? No, I was worried. Great catch, wow. That's a great catch, he Michael. Wants Ruko, right? I, <laughs> <laughs> I was worried because I thought you really didn't like doing the uh, the remote at all. I like working though, Jim. <laughs> I can't have you retire, Michael. Likes the kids and stuff. Yeah, no, that was that was an oversight. I think. No, no, it wasn't an oversight. I think it was a message. Unbelievable, Jim. That was a little tie from Roger Clemens. That's what it was. A little... Are you going to retire? So <laughs> yeah. why, why you get your job? Well, you got to well, retire once, but... so then we can have the big return celebration part. That's no. The... Somebody else has done that. It didn't work out great. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got you being in the booth for like another 20 years. Like, oh, from your mouth. I'll tell you what. I'm I'll telling you. I'll take it to uh, 79. Sure. What's the yeah. record? What's... You know what? Sterling will still be in there at the age of oh 100. Oh, my God. What's the record, Michael? You got to become – I was reading somewhere that someone was like the longest voice of the Yankees. You got to become – John? No, but uh, TV. Are you the longest well, TV? TV. Uh, I think the longest continuous voice of the Yankees is Sterling. Uh, this will be his 33rd year, and then I'm second at 30. But I don't wow. – uh, uh, let's see. Rizzuto took over in 57, and then I think he retired after 96. So, I mean, I, I'm just 20 years in the S booth, and I did the 10 years with John. But obviously, Jim, you don't want me to hit that record. Yeah. I get it now. I'm rooting for it. That's a, no, I don't think so. No, I, that, I think Jake is, that, I, and now Trevor, but not you. That was a, I think you're. Yeah. I think that was a Godfather type message. Like, uh, you know, he's giving a little bit around I'll the tell corner you what, there. I'll tell you yeah. what, Michael. I'm gonna walk upstairs and be a horse to my back. Jimmy rolls. We uh, people always ask us if we would want to like do play by play or broadcasting. Jake and I, it's exhausting. We do like a live. We did a live stream during the World Series, and every now and then, the chat's like, "Do play by play," and we do it for maybe one batter where we're doing like a presentation voice. It's like the most tiring thing ever. We're gassed after like one half inning. I don't know how you guys do it for a full game. You know what? I I, I don't. I, I think doing the radio show is more tiring, just to like know all sports and talk for four straight hours, but. When you're in the booth with Paul, I don't talk that much. I go, here's the 2 1. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Michael, I see a pigeon, you know, that, and then he just goes off. 
<laughs> when you just when you just said and here's the two one that like brings me back to like being in the clubhouse during a yank like when we're playing the Yankees like just your voice is synonymous for me with Yankee games so I, screw Jim yeah you're gonna be there for it's a long bad. long long time and you know basically what? as long as you want right I thought that I had something close with Jimmy yeah. I did but I blood this this little this little hit tells me differently I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Egg on my face. Tough, what, if, what, if, what if Flip is listening and goes, you know what? Maybe Michael should retire. Oh, no. no. No, no, no. Flip. Take a blank check out Yes Network and give it to Michael. Let him tell you how long and how much. That I, I'm serious. Flip knows I, like, I got his I'm back. A- I'm always tweeting. Whenever I have to watch some other network, I'm always yeah. tweeting at Flip. Like, can you go hire yourself out as a uh, contractor, like a contract to yeah. give advice. What are those people called? Consultant. A consultant. Can Flip go consult all the Fox Sports Detroits of the world to let them know how to do a bro- baseball broadcast? Because I'll tell you, some of these other broadcasts that I watch when I pull these breakdown videos are just awful in comparison. But I will tell you what, area. though, in all seriousness. I'm not talking city- about the booth. I, people always think no, I'm insulting them. I'm t- talking about the city- cameras and replays and broadcasts. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get criticized that uh, you know, I don't root for the Yankees. I don't think you can in New York. I mean, no. in my soul, do I want the Yankees to win? I mean, I was a nine-year-old kid who wanted to be the Yankee announcer. So, yeah, it's better for the Yes Network. It's better for everybody. And when Trevor could tell you, when you're around a team that wins, it's a better situation. People are happier. But, like, in Chicago, people out and out root for the team. They go, bad guys, too. Good guys, won. <laughs> I couldn't do that in, in New York. I mean, Mushnick and Raceman would destroy me, and I just don't think New Yorkers want that either. So yeah. I, I think different cities need different things out of their broadcasters. Yeah, it's true. Sterling's always funny. We have BBD that do Sterling calls, our Twitter account, so he's that now listens to Sterling all the time. And uh, uh, Sterling, is he roots for the team, but he also rips them to shreds Absolutely. sometimes, and it's so funny. And That's he amazing. always picks on fat it's players. Very New really York. Funny. He goes, he pick on? Fat players. Like, like Vogelback from Seattle will come up and he'll be like, "This is a big dude." <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's a bit. Alejandro I, Kirk is not the normal shape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say stuff like that. Yeah, it's awesome. when I when I when I um did my first game ever. It was the Yankees Red Sox, the first game ever that I was doing in the booth with John, and I'm so nervous. Like, I have to go to the bathroom nervous. And the engineer goes, "All right, 20 seconds. We're coming on the air." And like, my heart is beating. You know, this is what you worked for your whole life. This is what you wanted to be. And John turns to me and goes, uh, uh, Michael, as you begin this new career, I've got two bits of advice for you. And I'm thinking, oh, great. He's going to tell me, you know, talk from here, you know, breathe from the sternum, some really good bit of advice. He goes, um, never ask me my age on the air. <laughs> and the second thing is, uh, sometimes I talk to myself, please don't be alarmed. And the guy, the engineer goes, you're on. And John goes, welcome to Yankee Bay. <laughs> That's beautiful. That That's is awesome. awesome. All right, we'll let you go, Michael. Thank you very much for stopping and chatting with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for all the kindness. And the- Warm up Costas for us today. Yeah. You got thing for you guys. And Trevor, nice to meet you over over Zoom or whatever this is. Yeah. <laughs> nice to you, Michael, thank you so much, man. Thanks, You Michael. got it. Bye, guys. Bye. Oh, snap. That was lit. There you have it, Michael K. Go tweet at him. Let him know you enjoyed it. Um, that's it. He's the best. We like him. K-Stir. Big head. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, even on the screen, especially with mine near it, it's like, oh, no. Different you think your head could fit inside his head? Two of my heads. 
This is morbid. Nope. Okay. Happy holidays, everybody. All right. Enjoy uh, your cookies. Go, Jimmy will ask the morbid question on the way out. Go Yanks. Tell them, Grams. Go Yankees. You to like do a cast of his head and a cast of yours. Do you think you can rattle yours inside of his pretty good? Easily. 